Now, if you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them to the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, just a little bit to the right of the middle of your Bible. If you don't have one with you, there should be one under the chair in front of you, and you can grab that Bible and turn to page 481, and you will be at Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. Do you ever feel like life is speeding up? Anyone ever feel that way at all? Yeah, quite a few of us. And it just seems to me that the holidays approach at hyper speed. And uh, I don't know what it is about me, but I always anticipate during the holiday time I'm going to have some period of quietness and calmness. And yet what happens is, is there's this hectic busyness through the holiday time. And uh, right after the holidays this year, and most of you are aware that uh, I went out to Arizona for a hardworking retreat with family life. We speak at their conferences nationally, and uh, we're involved in retooling all the messages for that entire weekend conference. And so I just emerged from this hurried haze of the last few weeks, and I looked at my calendar and I said, oh my gosh, I'm already halfway through the month of January. And, uh, you know, I was just acutely aware of a need for myself to be reoriented to the new year. I found myself hungry for some perspective from God. Anyone else feeling that way at all? Am I just alone? Okay, there's a few of you out there. Well, that's what we want to do today is we want to get some perspective from God, some wisdom that can be mined from the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter number 9. I've entitled our time today, God's Prescription for a New Year. You know, I will never forget reading about Michelle Kelly. Michelle Kelly was an 11-year-old gal. She was riding her friend's brand new bicycle. The problem was that the brakes were defective on the bicycle, and she came to a street and came to a stop sign, could not stop, went through the stop sign, was hit by a pickup truck, and killed instantly. Now, little Michelle was a follower of Jesus, and therefore she went home to be with Jesus when that accident happened. But the previous Mother's Day, she had written a note to her mom. And I want to just show you the note. It has a few misspellings in it, but this is what she wrote. I promise to take care of you when you're sick. I will help you do work. I will do my chores. I will scratch your back. And expeasily, or especially... I will continue to love you with all my heart. Happy Mother's Day from your daughter, Michelle. And then she added this P.S. to her note. As long as a bunny has a tail, my love for you will never fail. Too often, life is like a blur. We are too busy to really enjoy life, to enjoy the things that are gifts from God, to enjoy our family and friends. Too often we're just too busy to express appreciation to one another and how much we care for one another. And I think too often we get caught up in an illusion. And that illusion is that life is going to go on forever. Now, we know someone up here in our head that's not true, but we live 
like that was true. And so as we enter a new year, I want us to reflect. I want us to reorient. I want us to renew our perspective from God's perspective. Because none of us, no one of us, no matter how young or how old we are, are immune from an event in this year like happened to Michelle Kelly. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes fascinates me. It's one of the most unknown, unstudied books in the Bible. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon does a no-holds-barred look at life. He zooms in on what he calls life under the sun. He's looking at life just as we see it on the earth. And one of the conclusions he comes to is that life is destined to come to an end. And another conclusion he comes to is that life is puzzling. And one of the themes of the book of Ecclesiastes is that life is not a puzzle to be solved, but it's a gift to be enjoyed. And so we want to talk about God's prescription for a new year. And if you have your Bible open, I want to read actually the first 12 verses quite long, a quite long section from chapter 9. I invite you to follow along in your Bible as I read here. He writes, For I have taken all this to my heart and explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, For the good, for the clean, and for the unclean. For the man who offers a sacrifice, and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in that all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity, is in their hearts throughout their lives, and afterwards they go to the dead. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, their zeal have already perished, And they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. So he's focusing on just life on the earth as we see it. Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. I saw again under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors and neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to men of ability for time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared in an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. 
Now, here's what we want to do this morning. We're going to talk about God's prescription for a new year. And and it's going to fall into two parts. The first part is I want to make four observations from these verses. And these observations are going to be a dose of reality. We're going to take a dose of reality before we look at the trifold prescription that he gives to us in these verses. So that's our plan for today. Four observations, which will be a dose of reality for all of us. And then we're going to look at a trifold prescription that God has for us. So let's begin this dose of reality by looking at four observations. And here's the first observation we have. Observation number one is that God is in control. Notice verse one, the first part of it. He says, for I have taken all this into my heart. And I explain that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. And when he says, I've taken all this into my heart, you really have to jump back one verse to the last verse of the previous chapter when he says, I saw every work of God. I was doing all this observation of just life on the planet. And and he said, I expended a lot of energy to do all of that. But even when you expend all of your energies, you really cannot fathom God's ways on the planet. God is in control. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, many of you know this passage. It says, for God speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We can't discern all of what's going on, but God is in control. That's interesting to me. What our tendency tends to be in life. And our tendency tends to be that we become very fixated on why. Why did God allow such and such to happen? When we were uh, in Phoenix, we were being driven to the airport um, by Cody Kimmel, who is Tim Kimmel's um, 16 year, or rather 18-year-old son. He's a senior in high school. Uh, Tim Kimmel's written a lot of books. You may be aware of his name, but his son Cody's driving us. And while he's driving us to the airport, I asked him about something that had been in the news, and perhaps you saw it in the news here too, and that is that there had been a bus crash. And there had been um, several high school students from the Phoenix area killed in this bus crash. There had been a group of people, a large group of people, who chartered a number of buses to go to Telluride, Colorado. A bunch of families and students were going to ski and to snowboard. And while they were in Colorado getting ready to come back, there had been an avalanche at Lizard Head Pass. And so the buses had to choose an alternative route. And one bus, so it happened to be a brand new bus, decided to detour through Utah. It had 51 people on it. And on a curve of the highway there, a very strong curve, a curve that went between the San Juan River and a giant cliff, the bus didn't make the curve. And the bus rolled off the road, went down a 41-foot drop. The tires were just totally stripped off the bus. The roof was ripped off the bus, and it just spilled out skiers and snowboarders, some of them flying 100 yards away from the bus. And nine people were killed. And I just asked Cody, do you know any of those people? And he said, yeah. 
He said, one of those who died was a longtime friend of mine from all the way back in elementary school. And he said, what's really interesting is he said, I almost went on that trip myself. I was invited to go on the trip and I strongly considered going on the trip, but then I felt like I just really couldn't do it for several different reasons. And while Cody didn't tell me, I know what Cody was thinking. Why? Why did... Why did my friend that I've known since elementary school, a good kid, get killed? Why was it me who didn't go on the trip? Why did I get spared? And we tend to get very oriented that way. We ask the question, why? Why is it, God, that I lost my job? Why is it that I'm having health problems in my life? God, why did you let such and such happen? Well, we don't know the why. Usually we don't find out the fullness of why. But we do know the who. And that who is in control. God is in control. Now, that doesn't mean that he directly causes all events to occur. We learn from James chapter 1 and verse 13 that God is not responsible for the evil deeds of men. But here's the, the key thing to remember. That nothing happens, nothing happens in life that has not first been permitted by God. Nothing happens that has not yet passed through His hands. God is in control. And that should give us some comfort because that means He's always at work in whatever happens under the sun. So the first observation is that God is in control. The second observation we get from here is that no man, no person knows his future. Notice again, verse 1, he says, Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred, anything awaits him. Man does not know his future. And again, I want to remind you, he's talking about life under the sun. He's talking about life on this earth. He's very focused on the earth. I mean, in humanity, and rather in heaven, we know we have, if we know Christ, that we have a, a very clear future. But he's talking about life on the planet. No man, no person knows his future. He does not know whether in, in this year of 2008, is it going to be love or hatred? Is it going to be adversity or prosperity for us in this year? We don't really know. You know, we have been in a string of very strong economic years in our country. There's been a strong stock market. Is that going to continue in 2008? Uh, is the market going to get caught up in the turmoil of the Asian markets? Or, I mean, what's going to happen? Are we going to have a recession or are we going to continue to have the economy uh, grow? I mean, what's going to go on? We don't really know what's ahead for us. We don't know if it's going to be adversity or prosperity. No man knows his future. You know, I, I'm, still, I, I'm still reeling a little bit emotionally from the death of our great good friend, Mata Zeltz, who was the director of Youth with a Mission in Latvia, and we've, ta we've talked about this openly. I think it was even mentioned last week by Mark. But, you know, here I am. I'm with Modest, and, and we're, we're longtime buddies, and, and we're meeting, and we're, we're talking about the summer missions trip we're going to take to Latvia. And uh, 
we have dinner together and, and I, he's just sharing with me his heart for future ministry, what he believes God is going to lead him to do in the next few years. And while he's here in the States, he purchases a used car here, got a tremendous deal at an auto auction, and he's shipping it back in a container along with a whole lot of relief supplies as a special gift for his son, which his son will eventually receive. But at the age of 48, God just says, your days are up. No man, no person knows their future. Now, I want you to see a third observation. Not only is God in control, no, no man, no person knows his future. But number three, the same fate awaits us all. Doesn't make any difference again if you're young or old. Notice verse 2, he says, it is the same for all. There's one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice, for the one who doesn't. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. It is the same for all under the sun on this planet. I think the NIV says we all share a common destiny. Someone wrote this little piece. It goes like this. There is a preacher of the old school, but he speaks boldly as ever. He is not popular, though the world is his parish, and he travels every part of the globe and speaks in every language. He visits the poor, calls upon the rich, preaches to people of every religion and no religion, and the subject of his sermon is always the same. He's an eloquent preacher, often stirring feelings which no other preacher could and bringing tears to eyes that never weep. His arguments none are able to refute, nor is there any heart that has remained unmoved by the force of his appeals. He shatters life with his message. Most people hate him. Everyone fears him. His name, Death. Every tombstone is his pulpit. Every newspaper prints his text. And someday, every one of you will be his sermon. It is the same for all of us. And that is a pretty strong dose of reality. You know, sometimes we, we, we attempt to just lighten the soberness of that reality a little bit. I, I, I heard about a comic strip where there was this pudgy, respectably dressed, middle-aged fellow, and he is depicted as philosophizing to another person this way, live each day as if it were your last. Someday you'll be right. It's so true, isn't it? It is the same for all. It is a common destiny. Now, now again, he's talking about life under the sun on the planet. He's not talking about things from the larger perspective because there is a, a dual eternal destiny that all human beings have, right? Some are who know Christ personally are going to go to a destiny in heaven. Some who, who choose not to, to trust in Christ are going to go to an eternal destiny in hell. But he's not talking about that right now. He's talking about life under the sun, life on the planet. And for all of us, we have the same fate. Now, again, we know that somewhere upstairs here, but we just tend to think it's going to be someone else who's going to die. I mean, it's not going to be us. It's, it's not going to be our friends. It's not going to be our family. 
But the reality is, think about this for a moment. 100 years from now, everybody in this room is going to be gone. A hundred years from now, there's going to be a whole other group of people in here. Psalm 89.48 says, What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Sheol is the grave. The answer is no. It's a common fate that awaits us all. And death, men and women, is the number one indicator we're not in control of our lives. That is a dose of reality that we need to have. We have the same fate. And uh, look, look at verse 3. It says, this is an evil in that all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. That is really the effect being described. There's one fate for all men. But the cause of that effect and that fate, he talks about in the rest of verse 3. For the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanities in their hearts throughout their lives. In other words, there's, there's sin that fuels this fate that we have. Romans 5.12 Through one man sinned and entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all because all sinned. And the Bible teaches the wages of sin, wages what you earn, is death, Right? And that's why Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. The same fate awaits us all. So here we go. All right, this is our dose of reality. Number one, God is in control. Number two, no man knows his future. Number three, the same fate awaits us all. Here's observation number four. The living have hope. The living have hope. He talks about that in verses four to six. Notice verse four. Whoever is joined with all the living, there's hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. And you read that and you go, what? what's he talking about there? Well, you know, in, in those days, their view of dogs was a lot more like the view of dogs in Mexico, by the way. Uh, they did not view dogs as this wonderful little, you know, we're going to have this $4,000 dog and we're going to shampoo and, you know, terrifically care of its coat and it's just going to be so cool and we're just going to be this little treasure we're going to have. That's not the way they view dogs. They view dogs as very insignificant. The dogs were, were mongrels, they were scavengers, they were smelly, they were flea-infested. The lion was viewed as the regal, powerful animal, the great hunter that was mighty among the beasts. And you see what he's talking about when he's talking about the living here. He says a live dog is better than a dead lion. In other words, the idea is the opportunity is now to live life. He says, the living know they will die, verse 5, but the dead do not know anything. Just looking at it again from life under the sun, they no longer have a reward. Their memory is forgotten. I mean, life is over for the dead. And then in verse 6, he says, indeed, their love, their hate, their zeal have already perished. They will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Even the, the passionate emotions that they felt from a, from a human perspective, from an earth perspective, they're just gone. They're over. But the living, you see, have hope. You remember what a cassette tape is, right? (laughs) 
it's just amazing to me the way the technology changes. You know, one day this illustration will mean nothing to someone who's younger. But when you take a cassette tape, when the tape would run out, you could rewind it. You remember that? Well, when the tape of life runs out, what he's saying here is there's no rewind. There is no rewind. See, the living, he's saying, he's saying this, have an opportunity to influence other people. The living have an opportunity to rewrite their reputation, to rewrite their legacy. The living have an opportunity to make a difference. But what do we tend to do? We tend to, I mean, let's be honest, we tend to slide through our days, don't we? We just sort of slide through the days. We tend to trudge through our weeks. And we overlook the miracle that we are alive. You may have heard, I don't know if you've heard of the story of David Rothenberg, and his whole story was made an ABC TV movie. But he was a young guy, the age of six, when his father and mother had been separated, and there was this battle over custody for him. And his dad took him away from his mother and took him to a motel room. And while in that motel room, his father gave him some sleeping pills and then very carefully doused his son in kerosene and then struck a match and set his son on fire. And David Rothenberg had third degree burns over 90% of his body. He went on to have some 35 operations and skin grafts. In fact, today, interestingly enough, he's become a, a film director. But I want, you to, I want you to hear what little David Rothenberg said at the age of seven. This happened to him when he was six. So one year afterwards, this is what he said. I am alive. I am alive. I am alive. I didn't miss out on living. And that is wonderful enough for me. I don't know if you've ever had a close brush with death. But one thing always happens when people have a close brush with death. What is that one thing that always happens? You know what I'm talking about? There's a new appreciation for life. And that's exactly what David was experiencing. You see, when, when we are alive, there are still things that we can accomplish. We still have an opportunity to touch other people's lives. We still have an opportunity to hug people and affirm people and encourage people. And we still have an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ with other people. Four observations. Number one, God is in control. Number two, no man knows the future. No person knows the future. The same fate awaits us all and the living have hope. Now that's the dose of reality that we needed to have. But let's look at the prescription. A trifold prescription for the new year. Basically, three applications we ought to have coming away from our inner 
section with Ecclesiastes 9. The first part of the prescription is enjoy life now. Enjoy life now. And that's what he has to say to us in verses 7 and 8. Notice verses 7 and 8. What does he say? Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. What he's really saying is break out of the haze. (laughs) Enjoy life now. Keep your finger here and turn with me back a couple of chapters to Ecclesiastes chapter number 5. Ecclesiastes 5, and I want you to notice verse 18. Here's what he says. He says, Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself and all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, verse 19, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he's also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. We need to enjoy life now. We need to delight ourselves in the now. We need to savor the now. We need to smell the roses. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Enjoy the now. I love the way Tim Hansel expresses this. He says this, Have we forgotten how special Wednesday can be? Have we forgotten how different November is when the trees appear in the lean economy of leafless leafless elegance? Have we somehow fallen into the rut where we think that all Mondays are dreary or that February is a difficult month? Are we in the habit of always putting off an experience until the time is right or until we know how to do it? (laughs) Procrastinating over the joy of being alive is one of the greatest burglars of life I know. Wow. Right on target. We need to enjoy life now. You know, one of the goals that I have for 2008 for me is just to laugh a little bit more. I can be pretty intense. It'll shock some of you that I would say that, but I'm going to laugh a little bit more in 2008. You know, Proverbs 17:22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine. And Psalm 118, 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Enjoy life now. And you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, Hess, Hess, Hess. Are you just kind of promoting, you know, is Solomon promoting some sort of hedonism here? Uh, just, just go out and have a life of debauchery? No, if you look at the whole context of Ecclesiastes, you know that's not true because he says in chapter 12 and verse 14, whoa, whoa, remember, God is going to bring every act to judgment. 
chapter 12, verse 14. God is going to bring every act to judgment. This is not hedonism. This is not go out and live a life of debauchery. But it is enjoy life now. Enjoy life now. Let me ask you a question. This is a very hypothetical thing, but just try to imagine what this would be like. What if every single day you had deposited into your checking account $86,000? Try to just imagine that. $86,000 every day deposited into your checking account. And here's the deal on that. That there's no... Balance carryover. You get 86,000 bucks a day, but you can't carry any of it over. What would you do in that situation? What would you do? What would I do? I tell you what, we would all want to do the same thing. We would want to spend every cent, every single day. $86,000 worth every day. Well, here's what's interesting. Every day, you and I are credited with 86,000 seconds. And none of them carry over to the next day. And whatever we really fail to invest wisely is lost forever. And if we fail to use the day's deposit, well, really the loss is is our own. We need to enjoy life now. Notice in verse 7 he says, God has already approved your works. The idea here is that the time that God gives to us and the health that He gives to us is something we are to enjoy. God says that's part of why I give it to you, that you would enjoy it. In fact, notice what it says in verse 8. It says, let your clothes be white all the time and let not your oil be lacking on your head. It's just expressions of the way that they would celebrate. I think the NIV says, always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. White clothes were festive clothes and you would anoint your head with oil. It's sort of like getting dressed up, putting a little gel on, you know. Enjoy life now. Second part of the trifold prescription is this. It's found in verse 9, and that is we need to enjoy our relationships. Enjoy your relationships. Notice verse 9 says, Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life which he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Delight yourself in your Spouse. God has designed the marriage relationship to be enjoyed. To enjoy it. And you know, the price for a good marriage is really paid every single day. It's amazing how a lot of times we get so focused on one another's weaknesses and and one another's mistakes and one another's flaws. And it really ought not to be that way. You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I've done quite a few uh, funerals over the years, and I've spoken with a number of widows and a number of widowers who lost their spouse. 
And more than once I've, I've had them say to me, you know what? We wish we could talk to every couple in the church. Every married couple. Especially, we wish we could talk to the ones who are having problems. And just to realize they need to learn to enjoy their relationship with their spouse. Enjoy your relationships. Delight in your spouse. Delight in your children. We've got four of them. 29, 28, 25, 19. Rebecca, Emily, Kyle, Jennifer. And I have a grandson who's going to soon be four. And another one on the way. And that's part of what I want to do is delight myself in my kids and my grandsons. Express to them how much you care for them. Maybe it just means that, you know, with the busyness of life and the blur thing happening, that you just need to set aside a special evening to be together or some special weekend. Maybe that's what God wants you to do in 2008. And again, over 28 years, I don't know how many funerals I've done. But I can't tell you how often I have heard people, when there's been a loss of a relationship, I've heard people, they had this regret that you hear over and over again. I just wish we'd spend a little more time together. Well, part of the prescription from God is that we need to invest in and enjoy our relationships. We need to enjoy life now. We need to enjoy our relationships. And then the third part of the tri-fold prescription this one might surprise you a little bit, is that we are to labor diligently. Verse 10 talks about that. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, the grave, where you are going. Let me just put it another way. Don't just slide by. Don't just coast through life. Do what you do with all of your might. Now, he's not talking about turn yourself into a workaholic. You know, do 85 hours a week. That's not what he's saying. I mean, he's mentioned family before work here. But the idea is that we've got limited time left and therefore we are to labor diligently. Colossians 3 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily from the depths of your soul as for the Lord rather than from men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And so as we go through 2008, that's what we need to do. We need to labor at what we do diligently. If your parents ask you to clean your room, <laughs> you do it diligently. If Part of your week means you've got to sort laundry. Do it diligently. Maybe there's some routine things that you have to do with your job. Well, do it with all of your might. Do it as unto the Lord. And then I'm reminded of what it says in 1 Corinthians 15:58. Be steadfast, immovable. What does it go on to say next? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always. In other words, this ought to be the pattern of your life and my life. That we're serving God and serving other people. How do you plan to do that in 2008? 
This might be your last year. This might be my last year. How are you going to serve God? How are you going to serve other people? You know, what's, what's interesting about all this, I mean, this is part of the dose of reality. You know what? We talk about what we're living for. The, the reality is we're all in the process of dying. Boy, I tell you, you get a little bit older like I'm starting to get, and you really, you really realize that we're in the process of dying. Let me ask you this. What are you dying for in the next year? A threefold prescription. Enjoy life now. Enjoy your relationships Labor diligently. I don't know how many uh, watch the movie. It comes up every holiday season. It's a wonderful life. What a great little movie. It's a wonderful life. But you know what Solomon gives to us in the book of Ecclesiastes? A key to a wonderful life. It's found in chapter 12 and verse 13. And it, it governs all of life. It's a key to a wonderful life. I want you to just look at it as we get ready to, to wrap up here. He says the conclusion, when all has been heard, when you want to get down to the ultimate bottom line, this is what life is about. Fear God and keep His commandments. And this applies to everybody. Fear God. Recognize God for who He is and turn to Him. If you are without a relationship... With Jesus Christ, that's what you need to do in 2008. That's what you need to do today. You see, we have no guarantees and life can come to a sudden end. In chapter 2, verse 25, he asks this question, Who can eat and have enjoyment in life without Him? If you've been trying to enjoy life without the person of Jesus Christ, I just want you to know, you don't even know what life is about yet. Life finds meaning when we seek to have a relationship with the living God through the person of Jesus Christ. Fear God, he says, and keep his commandments. Live in a way that is pleasing to him. In other words, make your days count. Don't just count your days. Now let me ask you this. If, if this was going to be your last year... What would be on your to-do list for this year? That's what ought to be on your to-do list for this year. You see, we're going into a new year, and we can either endure life, or we can enjoy life. By the way, as we close, I want to paraphrase Michelle. Just one further word of encouragement. As long as a bunny has a tail, his love for you will never fail. You can count on it in 2008. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the Word of God that is a living book. This book is awesome. And we thank you for King Solomon who made so many mistakes in his life, and yet he gives us this straight-up counsel, this straight-up prescription for a new year. And we would pray that this would be a great year of knowing you and walking with you. And that we would live this year as if it was our last on this planet, for indeed, it could well be 
no matter what our age is. We thank you that whatever we go through, you are going to be there for us every step of the way. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.